morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I am your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Thank you to our generous underwriters on Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans, by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Friday, January 20th, we are studying John chapter 4, verses 1 to 26. The city of Sychar in Samaria may seem like an unlikely place for Jesus to travel, and a woman there may seem like an even more unlikely candidate for a conversation with Jesus. Yet that is precisely the encounter St. John records for us in today's text. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us returning guest, Pastor Lucas Witt. Pastor Witt serves at Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Baltimore, Maryland. Pastor Witt, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Glad to be back. Thanks for the invitation. As we get started today, Pastor Witt, let's talk some context. What should we know about John's gospel and everything that's been happening leading up to chapter four? Oh boy. Um, yeah, John is is quite a trip. Uh, he likes focusing on imagery uh, like spirit uh, that we're going to be talking about today. Um, I'm especially intrigued by uh, looking back to the previous chapter uh, with Nicodemus. Um, you see uh, this precursor of Jesus bringing people from from all backgrounds and, and all nations. Um, and so before uh, Jesus at his first Passover that's mentioned, he's talking to Nicodemus, uh, who's who's what? He's Jewish. Uh, he's a male. Uh, he's you know the teacher of teachers. Uh, he's a valued uh, member of the, the Sanhedrin. And uh, and here in the next chapter, John takes a very different uh, story. It juxtaposes you know a woman who's not Jewish but Samaritan, uh, who's not male but female, uh, who's not highly regarded uh, but is is an outcast uh, even in her own community. Uh, and so you see John kind of putting together back to back these these very different people who encounter Jesus uh, and yet they end up with uh, the same intrigue and I would say the same gift too um, eventually in their story so uh, so John really uh, brings out the the wide the wide uh, variety of people that Christ calls into his net and his heavenly kingdom Hmm. I, I don't know that I've ever considered that contrast between Nicodemus and the woman now in Samaria, but I, I do think that you've laid out a helpful start for us as we consider her and to, to think through some of those differing backgrounds. And yet, as you said, they receive the same gift by the end of their encounter with Jesus. I think this is a fairly familiar text uh, to many. And so we get a wonderful opportunity to look at at least most of the chapter today. It's one of those chapters where really the whole thing goes together, but it's a little bit too much to cover on one show. So we're going to split it into two. We have the first 26 verses of chapter four. Pastor Witt, do you want to read the whole thing at once or do you want to pause halfway? What What do you think? Uh, boy, I would say I get overwhelmed easily. So let's uh, let's go in a smaller chunk than the whole thing, if that's okay. All right. That sounds good. So let's just go ahead and set the scene then. We'll take the first six verses to get started. This is John chapter four. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, 
he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. That takes us through verse 6 of John chapter 4. So we're setting the stage here, Pastor Witt. Talk about what Jesus learns and and where he decides to travel because of it. Sure, yeah. So, um, yeah, I mentioned before that this is after the the first Passover uh, in his his ministry, um, as John mentions here. And so he's been in in Jerusalem and uh, well, has uh, been making quite a name of himself. Um, from people there and, uh, you know, if somebody were giving me this kind of report is saying, look, all these people, um, were coming to you and hearing about you and, uh, you and your disciples are baptizing others. Um, I would think, you know, it, it might be time to set up a, you know, congregation here, a building, um, and, uh, and enjoy the success. Uh, but Jesus, um, he'll, he'll later say, you know, he'll set his face towards Jerusalem. Uh, but right now it's not his time. Uh, and so rather than draw the ire of the religious leaders and the Pharisees, um, he's not going to stick around through, he's not going to stick around in Jerusalem, uh, but he's going to say, oh, it's time to, you know, to, to head further, uh, further afield and back home up into the Galilee. Um, and so as he does so, uh, most Jewish people at this time, uh, would travel, uh, up north and then they, they cross to the, uh, the east of the Jordan River to avoid this place um, called Samaria uh, because there were <laughs> not very good relations with the Samaritan people. Um, and Jesus, uh, instead of doing that and bypassing, um, he goes he goes straight through uh, this territory. And uh, it, it sticks out to me as uh, my very first sermon at, uh, at Bethlehem Lutheran Church in St. Louis where Pastor John Schmidtke, I uh, used to be. Um, he he highlighted this word. Uh, it is it is necessary, or here is translated. Um, Jesus must must uh, go through this area, and so you see. Uh, I think that the him being obedient to the Father's will, um, that he must go through this area and go to the town of Sychar, and uh, he's going to be encountering. Uh, a very different mission field uh, from the ones in Jerusalem and in Samaria. And so um, the Samaritans, I would think most uh, most people know that they are, are very big, um, you know, what's the best word, opponents. They did not get along at all, right? They avoided each other at all costs. The Samaritans were, um, I always kind of use the term half-breeds, um, but... Right. But they, uh, you know, there was when the, when the kingdom was, was split, um, after Solomon and to the north and the south, uh, the ones up north, the kings are basically Jeroboam said, you know, I've got to keep these people from, uh, from going down to Jerusalem. And so there's this big, big split. And eventually, um, with the, uh, the Northern kingdom being mixed up. Uh, with other people groups uh, by the Assyrians, when they were taken over by the Assyrians, uh, you kind of got this mixture of, of Jewish people who who hadn't really been led to walk in God's ways all that closely, according to his word, mixed up with people of, very, of all different nations. And uh, they, were, they were rivals because 
um, they, they on one hand felt rejected by, by the, uh, the people of the Southern kingdom, but on the other hand, also kind of made this claim that they were also promised people of God. Uh, so, so there's lots of tension between these groups who kind of made the claim of, you know, we are, we are God's people. And, um, th there's lots of history. Josephus writes about the, the struggle that they have, but the bottom line is, you know, they, they really did not get along and avoided one another. Um, and, and hence most Jews would have just avoided going through Samaria. Uh, but, but Jesus has a different route. Hmm. Yeah, you, you really laid out well the history of the Samaritans and why there was a conflict between the Samaritans and the Jews of Jesus' day, compounded by the fact not only of the history of, of Samaria, as you said, and the way that false religion just kind of grew there in a variety of ways, but also by the fact of when the, the Judeans returned from exile under King Cyrus and the ways that they you know sought to avoid having to go back into exile and to, to try to learn from the past. When you think about the, the way that they avoided, you know, mixed marriages and things like that, and particularly as it grew into this time period, you can see why the, the conflict would have escalated to the point, as you said, that the majority of Jews of Jesus Day likely would have gone around Samaria, taken the long way around so as not to pass through that, what they might call polluted territory. So, and I, I love the, the point that you made that when it says that Jesus had to pass through Samaria, it's not saying that all the other roads were closed or there were no other roads, but this is rather Jesus being about the will of his father to spread the gospel, the good news that the kingdom is here to even these people in Samaria. And so it's a fantastic setting here that we've got. Any Any thoughts on the on the well, the, the reason for a, a well being the setting, that's, that's kind of where everything's going to happen here. <laughs> yeah, I was just looking at uh, verse six, I didn't quite uh, get to. So, I mean, we're going to be talking about uh, living water and uh, a, a metaphor um, for what, what uh, God does with, with water and, and how Jesus Christ himself uh, uses, uh, uses the water to, as an illustration of, um, of what he wants to do for his people. And, with uh, purification and refreshment. So, um, so, you know, there's lots of history here at, at Sychar, um, with, uh, God talking to Abraham and then him eventually giving, um, uh, land for Jacob's well there. So, so they're going to be out here in the middle of the day. Well, the sixth hour is noon. Uh, this lady's going to be there by herself, which is odd, um, unless you're uh, an outcast in some way. And they meet at this historic, uh, well that the Samaritans also say, Hey, look how special we are. You know, we have Jacob's well, and, um, you can actually go over to this special well today. Uh, it's still there, um, and actually receive a, a drink from it as well. So, uh, so this, this very special place, it's no coincidence that they meet besides, uh, a well that, that was dug under Jacob. Um, but we're going to talk about wire water uh, in quite a special way. All right. So let's keep reading here in John chapter four. We are picking up now in verse seven. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, 
Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. That takes us through verse 15. The ESV has a paragraph break there, so I'll go ahead and, and pause there as well. So we've got the a woman from Samaria. She is introduced in verse 7. And Pastor Witt, you said at the outset, there are some contrast here between this main character in this account with Jesus compared to Nicodemus, the main character with Jesus there in the beginning of John chapter 3. Help us to see this woman. What are those contrasts? How, how should we understand this woman as John writes about her? Well, I think we should understand her as somebody who, when you're going through the, the list of recruits of um, being a God's kingdom or, or talking uh, with Jesus and having that privilege, uh, you know, she, she would not make the cut uh, to the vast majority of people. And, and dare I say that, you know, with our sinful blinders on, um, you know, we, we would do the same thing in our lives to too many people in our situation when you think about uh, an outcast here. So, um, but like I said, Nicodemus was a, a well-respected uh, man um, and an insider, you could say. And, uh, and this lady is cast, not, not just cast out by the Jewish people, but cast out by the Samaritan people. Um, probably no way lower than her than, uh, you know, than Jewish tax collector, um, at this point in the, in the societal structure. So, uh, so she's rejected by, by everybody. And yet you get this, this sense that there's a specific appointment, you know, Jesus has come to the well for her, right? There's nobody else there, but her, um, and you know, Jesus didn't just, uh, just randomly get there and say, oh, that knows about the time for a drink of water. Um, he has, he has specifically picked her out to, uh, to, to really cast the net towards the Samaritan people, I think is what's going to be going on here. Um, she's, she's going to be the special, uh, dare I say, apostle sent back into the town here, uh, in a little while with a message, but, um, she, she's his chosen instrument, uh, as unlikely as, as that sounds to everybody in the world right now, except Jesus at this point in the story. Hmm. Well, and I, I think, so with you bringing that out, I'm reminded of some of the conversations we had about John chapter one toward the beginning of this gospel when Jesus was calling his first disciples, and particularly the account where Jesus goes to Galilee and he finds Philip and says to him, follow me, that we talked about with that text that Jesus takes the initiative as the one calling his disciples. You know, Philip is just there in Bethsaida in Galilee, minding his own business, perhaps. And here comes Jesus, and he says, Follow me. And Philip does. Now we're going to get a longer interaction between Jesus and this woman, but it starts very similarly that Jesus takes the initiative. As you said, he could have gone around Samaria to go to Galilee, but he didn't. He had to go through Samaria. And here he stops at this well. And this woman is the only one there, and he initiates the conversation. So, you know, I think you see in this woman another example 
of Jesus being the one to call us to him. He comes to us with his word to make us his disciples, to make us his children, not the other way around. He's He takes the initiative. Talk a little bit about that, Pastor Witt. Yeah, I mean, you see the initiative of, well, this this strikes as like an awkward situation where they, they would be, be looking their own ways, a Jewish man, a Samaritan woman, yeah. but you know, Jesus, as he does with us, breaks the silence, uh, right? And we're reminded of that yeah. um, from, from Christmas time as he comes into the world, but he tells this woman, you know, give me a drink. Um, and the text highlights that, you know, this is, this is odd because Jews do not deal with Samaritans and, and even a Jewish man would not talk to a Jewish woman um, all that readily. Uh, and so the woman has the same kind of question of how can you, you know, how can you come to me? The same question we can be asking as well. You know, how is it that you, um, you can be talking to me, uh, Lord of the universe. And so you get the sense she has uh, some skepticism. You know, she's, she, as a Samaritan, she probably feels outcast by the Jews who say, you know, you're not special people at all. Um, and Jesus uh, approaches her and, you know, what can I say besides he just kind of jumps right in there. Same thing with Nicodemus. You know, there's, you're going to start yeah, with right. this cryptic, this cryptic type talk. Um, like Jesus says, here, here's something to chew on. Uh, let's unpack it together. Right. But if you knew, <laughs> yeah. if you knew the gift of God before you, um, you know, then, but here's what you would say. <laughs> Um, yeah, you know, that's right. I, yeah. Well, <laughs> um, right. The same, I, I noticed that too, you know, when you invited us to consider the the comparison and contrast with Nicodemus, that the beginning of that conversation struck me as well, that Nicodemus, now he, he does come to Jesus there and, and maybe speak some kind words to Jesus, but Jesus starts the conversation on, on his part by just kind of blowing his mind. You know, no one's going to enter the kingdom of God unless he's born again. Here, Jesus maybe begins just a, a bit more or a le- little less abruptly, but once she responds to him, boom, here you go. If you know the gift of God and and who I am, you'd be asking me. So let, let's talk about Jesus' initial words to her there in verse 10. Uh, what's he saying? If you knew the gift of God and, and you'd start asking for living water, help us to, to start seeing this image that's going to predominate in the conversation. Yeah, Um I mean, thinking of, uh, of water here. So, uh, I mean, when we think of, of water, it's not very different how Jesus would have gone, but, um, living water, uh, is something that is, is moving. Um, so living water, uh, in Jesus day used for, for purification, uh, would be something that, uh, is, comes from a, a river or a stream and from the rains. Uh, and, and that's, that's the definition that you need when you need to have living water for for purification. So that, I think that's a poor analogy to hold to with, with the cleaning, the purification um, that would happen uh, with vessels that had become uh, unclean. And so Jesus basically says, you know, if you knew us before you, you, you would make a request uh, for this, this special gift that I have to give to you on this purifying living water uh, into a new life. So there's also a contrast there of you know, the well that she has been going to and is expecting you know, water from um, is, is not living water. It's, it's stagnant. Things that are sitting there need to be drawn out by a well um, or even for man-made aqueducts um, does not qualify as this, this living water that ceremonially, again, is used for purification. So you, you kind of have this contrast here of this woman who is going to, you know, to stagnant well water for her everyday 
uh, water needs, which of course we know we need physically. Um, but Jesus ups the ante and kind of uses this living water idea to say, you know, before he was something greater than the stagnant water that is just for your physical life that you keep coming back to. What I have, if you would know, it is a gift of a, of a purifying new life giving water, um, through, uh, through, through the spirit uh, and through truth, as they'll say in a moment here. And so you kind of have that, that contrast of, of trying to take her from the plane of focused on the, the standing water of the physical, uh, to the spiritual living water that he can provide, um, through his, through his words. Mm. Right. So living water in the sense, as you said, that it would be moving. And, and I like the connection to, to purification as well. It brings to mind in John chapter two, when Jesus performed his first sign there at the wedding at Cana, those stone water jars that he had the, the servants put the water in, they were used for purification. And we talked a little bit about with, with that text, how you know, Jesus brings the purification of the Old Testament to a completion and to its fulfillment. Now here we've got water again, living water that would have been used for purification as well. So that element to it is, is part of it. And then as Jesus will continue, I think we're also going to see that it's, it's living water, not only in the sense that it's moving and purifying, but also in the sense that it gives life. This, this water that comes from Jesus will give life to whomever drinks it and such that they will not be thirsty as Jesus is going to, to keep going. This, this theme of water is going to pop up elsewhere in John's gospel. It's, it's going to come up again in chapter seven. And I, I think that the way that I've, I've un often understood John's gospel is that it comes to a climax, particularly when Jesus is on the cross and his side is pierced by that spear and outflow blood and water. And so I think, you know, we're starting to see a theme that's gonna, it's maybe not as, as strong as like the light darkness theme in John, but I think it's, it's, if I can use the pun, there's a, a undercurrent flowing here with the water in it's John's not. gospel. <laughs> if you'll yeah. pardon that. So. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's, that's actually a, a very good term there. So, um, Okay, so we, we've got Jesus who, who just kind of, like you said, he just throws this on her. Hey, here's what's really going on. Kind of pay attention. You, you need living water from me. How does she understand what Jesus is saying? How does she, or, or maybe misunderstand, you know, we have some of that back and forth again with, as we saw with Jesus and Nicodemus, there's going to be some of that here. How does she respond in, in verses 11 and 12? Yeah, so... I go back and forth sometimes wondering, uh, you know, at some point I, I pick up sarcasm from her, uh, you know, can kind of starting off with saying like, oh, isn't it convenient? You know, usually you ignore us, but now that you need a drink of water and don't have anything to, to get water with, now you can talk to me. Um, and so at some point there's this, this switch of, of intrigue, uh, you know, so when she asks him, um, you know, are you, are you greater than our father, Jacob? Uh, it could be a challenge, um, but also also could be kind of a, uh, a question of, you know, dropping a hint, like, are you, are you something greater, um, than, than our father, Jacob, who, who gives us this? Um, and so when Jesus tells her, you know, he kind of goes a bit further, you know, anyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, uh, but the water I give, you know, somebody who drinks that will, will never, ever be thirsty again. You know, it will spring. Uh, spring to um, a water welling up within them of, of eternal life. And at this point, again, uh, the woman seems to be intrigued. Uh, and if there is sarcasm getting over it when she says, you know, 
um, uh, you know, give me this water so I may, may come here. And, and I think again, it's kind of, I don't have a final verdict. I'm saying like, is she kind of stuck in the, you know, the physical water metaphor, but you get the sense she's, she's, you know, intruding kind of, kind of wondering, but it makes me think of when you say to, um, when you mentioned John seven, uh, you know, this, this alludes to, to where he's leading her so much, uh, you know, the Isaiah 55, um, mm. I think there's a parallel there as well. So when you turn to Isaiah 55, one, uh, you get the sense of, of a man screaming out who says, you know, come everyone who thirsts, um, you know, come to the waters. He who has no money, uh, come by and, and eat. Um, and you get, uh, a man screaming out who, who says, you know, come, come receive the, the waters of, of life I have given. Then, um, it's also a gift there, uh, the, of, you know, there's come, come buy and eat, um, and receive this gift that, that you cannot buy <laughs> without money, come and receive this gift. And so I get this, this sense as, as it's written Isaiah 55 there, like somebody's calling out saying, you receive what, what I want to give you, um, that you cannot buy or earn for yourself as he's, he's giving out here. And then, uh, later on in John seven, if I can, can jump ahead, um, you have Jesus doing the same thing. He's, he's standing up and he's crying out, uh, after another feast and says, you know, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And out of him will flow, you know, waters of, uh, rivers of living water. Um, so you see in both situations that this water that, that Jesus gives, uh, which again is analogous of, of his word and spirit, um, being given to us. It's not something that, that sits there, uh, stagnant and even just satisfies the person. Um, but as he says in, uh, verse 14, it's going to become a spring of water. Uh, welling up to eternal life, right? It actually, uh, actually multiplies this water goes into us and actually multiplies, uh, as the spirit does into not just satisfying us, but also being shared, um, shared that we live new lives and, and live uh, a spirit filled life in the world uh, that has changed. And that's the invitation that he has for, for her in this new life as well, that he's trying to guide her into again, you, you come here for a physical drink of water, but. Um, what I want you to realize is, you know, is the spiritual, the spiritual word and new life that, that I can give you that will, that will send you out into a whole new way of, of living. Mm, yeah. What a, what a fantastic gift that our Lord Jesus is giving to this woman at the Samaritan. Well, we're going to keep looking at this text on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We're talking with Pastor Lucas Witt this morning about John chapter four. We will be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. What do you think of when you hear the word college? Expensive? Liberal? Woke? Imagine a college that is affordable. A college that is unapologetically conservative and Lutheran. A college that won't take a dime of federal funding. A college that teaches the best of our Western heritage. 
a college where students grow in the Christian faith instead of leaving it behind. This is Luther Classical College, a college by Lutherans and for Lutherans. Visit our website, lutherclassical.org, subscribe, become a patron, and join the thousands who are making Luther Classical College a reality. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Friday, January 20th. We are studying John chapter 4, verses 1 to 26 with Pastor Lucas Witt. He serves at Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Baltimore, Maryland. Pastor Witt, prior to the break, you were making a connection between what Jesus is doing here in John chapter 4 and Isaiah 55, which I think is fantastic. That first verse, as you read it from Isaiah 55, the voice crying out, come everyone who thirsts, you can see Jesus doing that. And as you were reading that, I was kind of letting my eyes wander throughout the rest of that chapter. And I think there's other connections there that, that could be made to what's happening here, John chapter four. Uh, for example, in Isaiah 55, verse four, behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples, notice the plural, Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you. Now they they knew the Samaritans, of course, but but think about that. You know, you know, the Jews did not like the Samaritans, and yet here is Jesus calling out to them. And as we will see, the Samaritan woman believes and she shares that good news with her with her town. And then, you know, later in the chapter, the rain and the snow come down from heaven to water the earth, and that's the image for God's word going out from his mouth not returning empty, but accomplishing his purpose to give life. And again, I think you see that right here in in John chapter four. So I really like that connection to Isaiah 55. And I think you can take a look at that whole chapter and see things happening here in John chapter four that Isaiah spoke about ahead of time. So it's a fantastic connection. Now, you also mentioned Pastor Witt, just kind of how do we understand this woman's tone of voice all along? And it it is kind of hard to to know. And I, this is one of those places where I, I do wish you could hear it as it was going on, or that the evangelist gave us a little side comment saying, you know, read in sarcasm or something like that. Right. Uh, but but I mean, if if there is any sarcasm, say in verses 11 and 12 particularly, or maybe kind of a looking down on Jesus, a who do you think you are kind of attitude, I do think you start to see that go away by verse 15, or at least it's it's going into the background. She seems to be more and more intrigued in this Jesus, or, and I guess she doesn't know his name at this point, but she seems to be more and more intrigued by him as the conversation progresses, because by verse 15, she's now, you know, starting to do what Jesus said, asking for this mm-hmm. water. Mm-hmm. What, what do you think about, but is she, is she quite there in verse 15 yet? Um, well, I know a couple of verses. She definitely will be. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, do it. I mean, that's, it's a great point, right? At this point she is asking. You know, even whether she knows what quite she's asking for, even we know quite what she's asking for, the physical or the spiritual or, or something, uh, something intriguing about both. Um, it, it's hard quite to spell there, but, but, uh, you know, you make a good point that, you know, at first Jesus comes and says, you know, you would be wise to be asking me, uh, for some gift. And at this point, uh, she, she is, whether quite realizing it or not, taking up on his offer and saying, you know, sir, yeah, I'll, t- I'll take this water, you know, what you're promising me, I can see I want, um, uh, but you know, it's when, when she says, you know, I don't want to have to come here to draw water. I think that's one of those things where, where again, if, uh, if we were 
living around the time of John and the culture, we probably have a pretty good idea of where she was going there. And, and maybe that's one of those things that's kind of lost in, in cultural translation is, um, you know, is this, uh, is this her still talking about coming to the well to draw the water or, or is she really kind of latching onto the, uh, you know, the understanding and the teachings, um, that he's, he's laying out here, you know, in a similar way that, um, you know, I would, Going back to Nicodemus, you know, I kind of remember hearing Nicodemus and, and thinking like, oh, Nicodemus, what a silly guy. He couldn't figure out what Jesus is talking about. And, um, you know, and uh, as, as I've kind of understood the culture more, I mean, when rabbis talked, they talked in questions. Um, the question was kind of a sign that, that you understood and, and needed to take it to another level between teachers and students. Uh, in the same way in school where, you know, a teacher really knows their student understands when they they don't just make a comment, but they're going to ask a question to take it to another next level. Um, mm. And so I think there's, I, I think it's, it's valid to say that maybe kind of the same way Nicodemus asked questions to say, I get it and I need to take it to the next level. Um, she may be saying the same thing here. Uh, mm. You know, I, right. I, I want this water that you're describing as I, as I'm coming to understand it. Yeah, yeah, but but still in need of more teaching, and so Jesus continues the conversation. So let's pick up the text again now in verse 16 of John chapter 4. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband, and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. That takes us to the end of our text for today, all the way through John 4, verse 26. So, Pastor Witt, in, in verse 16, the conversation takes a, a rather sharp turn, it seems. They've been talking about getting a drink of water, and Jesus has been talking about living water. Suddenly, Jesus asks about her husband. What What's going on as the conversation turns in verse 16? Well, if there was skepticism, Jesus is making his uh, his move. <laughs> you know, mm. Putting his, uh, his, uh, his, his chess piece in position, basically say, okay, we're, we're going to get this point wrong. Across so, so again, back then they're they're in a bit of a, a socially awkward situation. So if he's going to be giving her something like she requests, um, you know, maybe you could say, this is this is the move where you say there's, uh, you know, let's have the husband there as well, um, for kind of social acceptability. Uh, mm. But however, we we know that what Jesus is really going to reveal is is uh, his knowledge of of who she is at a very you know intimate personal level. Um, and, uh, and wants to make that point to, if there is whatever doubt is left, you know, is going to be made very clear here, uh, as the woman, you know, answers, if she does have a gotcha left, like, aha, you know, oh, I don't have a husband. Oh, 
this guy's like quite as smart as I thought he was. Oh, you know, but Jesus, <laughs> you know, Jesus, uh, puts down the, the checkmate, if I can hold up my, my weak chess analogy there. Right. And says, aha, actually I knew that. And I know you have five husbands. And at this point, you know, the one you have now is not your husband. And I got to assume that, you know, and as John is paraphrasing here, he probably, probably goes into a bit more detail too about, uh, you know, I, this was the first man what it was like, and here's the second man and here's how you felt about it. And just kind of, you know, not just from one, one sentence like this is the lady suddenly in awe, but Jesus kind of just keeps on going, you know, getting descriptions of, of her life and these men and, uh, you know, and her jaw just keeps dropping further and further and further at this point. Hmm. So, I mean, what happens here then, you, you would understand it kind of in the same vein as, again, what happened in chapter one, when Jesus was calling the Philip and then Nathaniel, how Nathaniel had some skepticism about Jesus from the outset. You know, he, he said to Philip, can anything good come from Nazareth? And then when he goes and sees Jesus, Jesus, you know, kind of gives him that sort of jaw dropping moment when he, he knows him and, and has seen him already leading him to the confession of the truth. It seems like Jesus is doing something similar here with this Samaritan woman, allowing her to to see more clearly who she or who he is by talking to her about her own life that that he couldn't have known otherwise. So that that she then and this is where I you know I think you you see the woman do she starts to understand more as this text progresses. She hears what Jesus says, realizes he knows something about her. And here's this man she's never met. Who, who is this guy? Well, she says in verse 19, he's a prophet. That's what, what she confesses about him. And then boy, she, she takes the turn. She's ready to have a theological conversation with him. This really, this kind of astounds me too, that, you know, she's been talking about water all along with him. And now they've talked about her, her husband's and then she realizes who he is or more about who he is. And suddenly she wants to talk about, well, hey, where should we worship after all? Uh, talk about, again, how this conversation just takes another turn toward the matter of worship in, in verses 19 and 20. Yeah, suddenly, uh, suddenly it's, oh, let's, let's get out the, uh, the theological doctrine books and uh, talk yeah. about these differences. So um, I don't know if that's, a, you know, maybe that's a, a deflection of suddenly this guy, you know, uh, knows very deep and you get a, you know, a deflection of, ooh, this is a bit uncomfortable. Um, but it really, I, I take it as turning back kind of where this all started, you know, the, uh, the silence and kind of her saying, why are you talking to me? Um, uh, goes back to, to really the, in, in the same vein of, um, who's right. <laughs> you're, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. Um, which one's right. And you're clearly a prophet who has some authority here. And so, um, you know, we worship, you know, we worship on Mount Gerizim, um, which is, was the alternative place for Samaritans to to worship, uh, well, in Deuteronomy, that's where Moses said, you know, to pronounce the, uh, the blessings of the law. And so that's kind of how the Samaritans said, oh, this is a special place we worship from. And, you know, you, you Jews, you say Jerusalem is the place, um, to worship. And so, you know, Mr. Prophet man, who clearly uh, has some authority, you know, who, who's right. Um, and that's, that's where I really take this as, as coming from is her, um, whether it's deflection or, or not, uh, it takes us back to the very start to, you know, who, who really knows who God is, you know, is it the Samaritans or the Druze and, um, and, uh, and wants to know that, that answer. Hmm. 
Okay, so she she sets the stage then for Jesus to to keep speaking about this and revealing himself to her. She she says, "Look, where do we worship? Is it on this mountain? Is it where you say that we're supposed to worship? What's going on?" Jesus maybe you know surprises her again, and and gives an answer that you know I don't know if she was looking for. Neither is is going to be the answer eventually. Uh, how does Jesus give this answer? He's got quite a bit of of things to say here. Yeah, yeah, this part is packed, right? Um, let's see, since, let's see, verse 21, Jesus, or woman, believe me, you know, the hour is coming, right? So once again, if you're, if you're looking here, let me, let me expand, expand this and uh, explode the firework. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father, right? So you, you know that question? <laughs> um, let's go on to a bigger, more important question. Uh, the day is coming when Mount Gerizim, you know, nor the Temple Mount in Jerusalem is the place you will you will need to go. Um, you know, you you Samaritans, you know, you you have. We well, make very clear here that kind of you know, the, the Jewish people are the ones who have you know it more figured out, right? Salvation comes from the Jews. You know, it's God's chosen people. We we have followed God's ways and His word. You know, um, Samaritans tend to, to worship what, you know, what they, what they don't know. Um, Samaritans only considered the first five books authoritative. And so, you know, they missed out on, on many ways God revealed himself. So, so Jesus makes very clear really that, you know, the Jewish people are the ones, um, that God has chosen to, to share his salvation with the world, um, and, and have his teachings. Um, but, you know, an hour Oh, oh, such an intriguing phrase, verse 33, right? The hour is coming, but it's not just coming. It's here now when true worshipers uh, will worship the Father. Again, not not specifically at one location, um, but the time is is coming and has started uh, to worship in, in spirit and truth, right? So anybody uh, with, a, with the spirit or with a spirit, um, the Holy Spirit, you know, can worship God uh, in, the, in the truth of his word anywhere, at any place, at any time, um, and that is the the real joy and gift of this living living water of the spirit is is not you need to do something in a specific place and ask about you know whether that's that's right or wrong, um, but but to say that 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 God has you know, given uh, His chosen people the Holy Spirit uh, to be in a a relationship with Him that is beyond you know what's what's the right place. Um, but to actually understand him and the truth of his word, and that can be that his presence is with them wherever. As he starts on verse 24, you know, God is spirit. And so, you know, worshiping him, you know, in spirit and truth is, is understanding that God, you know, God fills all things and you can worship him um, in many places and not just, uh, not just two locations. Hmm. Well, so I, I think, like you said, there's a ton packed into this answer. And the way that, you know, as he says, the hour is coming when it's not going to be either of these mountains, that's the importance. And, and, but what he, he does acknowledge there in verse 22, you know, that salvation is from the Jews. Uh, there is that, um, I guess, acknowledgement is the best way I can think to put it, of the, the fact that in the Old Testament, God did command his people to go and worship him at his chosen place, the place where he would put his name. That's the phrase that gets used over and over again in Deuteronomy. And as you mentioned before, you know, I mean, this was one of the, the sticking points when it came to the divided kingdom, that the northern kingdom, King, jo- 
uh, oh gosh, jo- uh, Jeroboam. There we go. King King Jeroboam set up those two idolatrous shrines from the outset. That was one of the sticking points: is that you're not going to the right place to worship, and and that's one of the reasons why Israel falls so quickly is because they they have that false worship there. So Jesus does acknowledge. Look. The, there is a lot to the fact that, yes, the Lord put his name in Jerusalem, but that was always pointing forward to this fulfillment, to this hour that's coming. And then, as you said, when he he says, is now here, that's that's huge. And he talks about worshiping in spirit and in truth. And, and the way I, I appreciated the way you made that a lot more concrete than I think sometimes it's it's taken to be, you know, oh, I can worship the Father in spirit and truth means something like, oh, I, I can worship him however makes my spirit feel good or, or whatever I find to be true, I think is maybe the way that sometimes those words are heard, especially in the context in which we live, in which you know truth is often not even looked upon as, as important or even as existing. That's not what Jesus is saying here. You, as you connected it to the spirit being the Holy Spirit, and then truth, I, I would connect that, especially as you did to God's word. And then even later to Jesus himself, you know, think forward to John chapter 14, where Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life such that to worship, worship the father in spirit and truth is to worship the father through Jesus in the Holy Spirit as you come to know him in his word. And as you said, where can that take place? Well, wherever his word is heard. That's that's where that happens. But there is still that very concrete reality to it. It's not just worship God however makes you feel good, but worship God through faith in Christ. Yeah, yeah. Um, I had that same thought. I, I like how you put it with, you know, spirit and truth can be very kind of uh, nebulous and, and worship the way you like. And I was thinking, you know, that's how we, how that's described by many people today um, in a a you know worshiping in a spiritual but not religious type way is is kind of like worshiping what you don't know right kind of yeah. um like oh I, there, there's many thoughts that i have and you know but with the uncertainties it's really just kind of you know the the connection emotion that i feel and uh i, I would say that when, when why here you know people on the streets talk about you know worshiping in, in spirit and truth uh outside the word it's usually worshiping things that they don't know um that can that can change day to day but uh, yeah, you know, thinking of the way John writes, right? So, you know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Through, like, as you said, we worship the Father through the Son. Um, you know, the, Jesus is the Word, the Word made flesh, who has come down to us. And so, um, to, you know, this, this is where the d- distinctions that we have, you know, come together of, of you know, the Word is Jesus, um, mm. is is preceded, you know, with the Holy Spirit, and therefore we are, you know, we are given this this gift of of uh, Jesus' life and and Word and Spirit Himself, um, and this new new form of life that we have, and that that's what is worshiping in spirit and truth, you know, mm. you know by the by the Word He's given us. What you were saying earlier about the Spirit there also just reminded me of of the way John the Baptist testified about the baptism of Jesus back in John chapter 1. In John 1 verse 33, John the Baptist said, I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So you know, John the Baptist uses the, 
or he recognizes that the baptism of Jesus and the spirit descending on Jesus and remaining on Jesus, that's the sign that Jesus is in fact the son of God. Here again, as Jesus talks about worshiping in spirit and in truth, I think that's just another pointer that we get from John's gospel to say to worship Jesus in spirit and truth means to worship him through Christ in the Holy Spirit. And I, you know, when he says that the hour is now here, that this is happening, well, the reason that that hour is now here is because Jesus is literally now here. He has come in the flesh, the word made flesh who dwells among us. And so this hour is here. And then another thing that stands out to me about Jesus' answer, it's just so full of, of goodness, yes, is in verse, verse 23, where it says, the Father is seeking such people to worship him. You know, again, you have that God going and looking for his lost children. He's seeking the lost sheep. And, and that's precisely what has happened here in Samaria with Jesus having to go to talk to this woman. Yeah, the... Uh... Yeah, how he changes her life, you know, is is this immediate thing. And I guess again, yeah, I can't, uh, I can't jump ahead. We gotta wait till, uh, <laughs> wait till next time for <laughs> for that. But that's right. Um, but, you know, that's English, right. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, like you said, there's so much that's packed here. So I'm getting slightly, you know, my circuit boards are slightly, uh, uh <laughs> you know, sparking. Um, but like you said, that's the right. hour is coming. In, you know, and now here with Jesus here, you see, you know, the the new life that she has. You know, also you. There's, there's this, this switch, right? Like the new, the new life that she has that is eternal, um, doesn't kind of wait until she dies, but you know, it's actually a new life that she is in right now. Um, and you see the, the living, the living water, the living word of, of Christ and the spirit, you know, kind of spewing out from her. So, um, sometimes, uh, when we talk about our new life, it sometimes is wait, wait for it, you know, and you'll see it, uh, you'll see it when you die. But, but the truth is what Jesus promises to us, you know, in his spirit and truth is, you know, is a new life that has begun, you know, that, that will be, and is here now in our very lives as saints and saints in Christ Jesus. So, um, it's a really, really, really wonderful reminder that, uh, the hope that we wait for is, you know, is far from something we do have to wait for. As Jesus finishes his answer there in verse 24, the woman responds yet again. And I, I think you continue to see her eyes being opened to who Jesus is as she as she speaks the next sentence. So she, you know, again, she's having a theological conversation with Jesus here. And she says, I know that, mes- that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And again, you know, I, I don't know this, but as, as I hear her saying that, it's almost like she's anticipating the answer that Jesus does give there in verse 26, or, or you know, hoping against hope that, maybe this is the guy. And then of course, Jesus gives his, his mic drop answer there in verse 26. Take us into that, that last interaction between these two in this text. Yeah. When, when, uh, God takes this turn of, you know, well, I know, you know, I know there's a promise of Messiah coming. Yeah. Um, either a, she doesn't quite like his answer. It's kind of like, Oh, I'll wait for, <laughs> I'll wait for this guy to, to kind of, you know, tell me the answer for sure. Um, or I, I too can't help but think that she's kind of doing this hinting of, uh, you know, we're waiting for one who will tell us all things, um, wink, wink, you know, any ideas, any comments about him and Jesus, uh, again, uh, a contrast to, you know, chapter three in Jerusalem, you know, he needs to get out of there because the, you know, the authorities will be on his tail, but, but here in Samaria, he doesn't have those same concerns. And so, um, for, 
for, I would say the first, first time, uh, in a way he doesn't do in Jerusalem until the really towards the end, you know, he's flat out says, you know, I am the Messiah, right? I am the one that you're waiting for. Um, there's, there's no waiting. And, and by the way, you know, like you said, drop the mic, you know, there's no distinction either of, of, uh, how the Messiah comes differently to, you know, the Jews or the Samaritans in this case, right? It's just kind of, I'm he, you're waiting for him. They're waiting for him. Everybody's waiting for him on a lot. I'm him. He's here. Uh, yeah. you have just had that encounter you've been hoping for, um, you know, in the same way that, uh, then we just jumped to, you know, Simeon, uh, Simeon and in the temple there, like, oh, this is the one we've been waiting for. You know, now I can go depart in peace or uh, in her case, mm. go, um, de depart and shout out some things that she's just learned. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And we'll, we'll get more of that, the reaction of this woman and what happens there in, in Samaria because of the, the witness that she gives. We'll pick up that in the next episode. Pastor Witt, we've got about a minute left here on the morning. Help us to wrap this text up. Give us the, the good news that we see in this encounter with Jesus and the Samaritan woman in John 4. Yeah, we are reminded that, uh, well, walking through it, we see a, a, a Savior who comes up and approaches us. Um, who can't quite see and, and may be uh, outcasted. Uh, We're told of, of the offer that he gives to us in living water and eternal life. Uh, and then we are invited and assured that he, he is the one that we are waiting for and gives us the gifts that uh, go far beyond the physical, but uh, change us in our, in our spiritual nature too for everlasting life. Pastor Lucas Witt is pastor at Emanuel Lutheran Church in Baltimore, Maryland, helping us today with John chapter 4, verses 1 to 26. Pastor Witt, thanks for being our guest today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about John chapter 4, please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It is always a pleasure to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again next week.